On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I got a chance to chat with CMO Henry Murray from Waterdrop. We had such a good conversation all around in-person activations. You're going to have to listen to the episode to hear who one of their uh, spokespeople is, who is one of the greatest of all time in their category. They talked about an incredible activation that they uh, ran, how they measure that activation. We talked about what it's like being in over 2,000, or sorry, 20,000 doors and how to measure that. We talked about entering different markets. They've entered almost 30 markets, maybe even more than that right now. Just an incredible story. You guys are not going to want to miss this one. Hey, hey guys, are you struggling to create offers that actually convert? Look no further than our must-have brand new course called Million Dollar Offers. With just a few short videos, you're going to learn the seven essential elements of a million dollar offer and how to leverage the power of AI and chat GPT to iterate on your headlines and your prompts. The great news is that this course is actually completely free. So Google Upgrowth Academy, that's Upgrowth Academy, and looks at the course called Million Dollar Offers. You guys will not regret this one. Now on to today's episode. Hey guys, Jordan West back with another episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. I am really looking forward to this conversation today. I have Henry Murray from Waterdrop. Henry, welcome to Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. Hey, nice to be here. Yeah, ab absolutely. Looking forward to having a, a conversation today uh, all around, uh, you know, what it's like, you know, starting in Europe, you know, looking at the amount of doors that you guys are in, how you guys have grown over the years. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Hopefully this will be an inspiration for a lot of other brands that are out there that are looking, you know, they've got a great product. They're really looking to expand uh, like you guys have. For people who don't know anything about you or anything about Waterdrop, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. So Waterdrop is a very simple product with a very big vision. We believe in a world where there's no pre-filled beverages, where there's no sugary drinks and plastic bottles that are shipped around uselessly in the world. We believe water should be free and it's already with the consumers in many cases. I come from a country where great tap water comes out at every corner and we were thinking, why, why do you have to like bottle it and put something in it if you can only ship the essence? So we developed a small hydration cube that you can drop into water, hence the name Water Drop. And we started developing it with 2016, 2015 in, in Germany. And we had a product and it was lightweight. It used 98% less plastic because we were only using fruit and plant extracts. And that also opened the door for us to go direct to consumer. And so we started out as a small D2C company in Vienna with one website serving the Austrian market and then the German market. And from there, it turned into a multi-channel, multi-product, multi-country company. So I guess we'll get into that in a second, but that's how we started and that's what we do today. So our core product are small hydration cubes and we built a business around accessories, around it, drinkware, hydration tracking apps, filtration. Everything that helps you drink more water is in our, in our fuel. Oh, I love it. So interesting starting in Europe, right? And starting with, I'm assuming in Austria, were you starting in German? Like, is that? Yeah, we did start in German, but we designed the business and the brand to be international from day one. That's why it's called Waterdrop and not some weird German name. We knew we would, would go international eventually also to the US market. One of the reasons... Funny story right at the beginning with first angel investment, which was significant to actually survive. We used 20% of that funding to buy waterdrop.com, although we were 
were weren't in the US for a long, long time. But we uh, that is that is massive. Like for anyone out there who's raised cash, you know, the last thing I would ever think about telling my angels is, hey, I'm gonna be using a major portion of this to buy a URL. So that is that is awesome. Yeah, that actually so I'm I'm one of the co-founders. My brother Martin, who founded it, was very, very convinced that we will go big in the US and when the time is right. Yeah. And um, he was right. Five years later, just a couple of weeks ago, we were playing tennis with Novak Djokovic on Times Square, basically making wow. a splash in New York. He's one of our ambassadors and, and investor in the company. And we right now we look back and said, actually, it's really good to have waterdrop.com because now they would charge an arm and a leg for, for getting that domain. Okay. I, w- I want to dive into this. This is really, really interesting. I want to talk about this activation in Times Square. Walk me through that. So first of all, you're with like, you know, one of the biggest names in tennis, number one, who just happens to also be an investor. Number two, how did you do this? Like, what did this activation exactly look like? Because this is really interesting to me of like, so you were in the middle of Times Square doing what? The story is, I mean, first of all, I would argue Novak is, is not only one of the biggest in tennis, probably the biggest, and by now also one of the greatest athletes of all time. With, with yeah, the yeah, totally. Yeah. We were very fortunate to to bring him on board because he believed in the mission of the company and product and, and everything around it. So just a flashback to August, it was the first time Nova came back to the US for quite some time and playing the US Open again. We said, we, we, we also have to make a splash. Nobody knows water drop in the US. We're a small brand over there, right? We just started out yeah. two years where we're starting to scale. We're, we said, we gotta, we gotta have a statement. So our mission obviously is reducing single-use plastic bottles. So at one point we said, why not build a tennis court on Times Square and let Novak Djokovic face plastic bottles, which was one of our like team members wearing a plastic bottle head and him beating him and bringing in a few kids from Harlem Tennis Club and I've tried a video about it and, and, and really, really pushed that activation. And so we were able to do it with great partners who to made us help, you know, realize that, that vision. And the same day we were ringing the bell for sustainability at, at NASDAQ. So we really tried to bring the brand to life, give Novak a a stage and we said, welcome back to Novak, New York, because <laughs> the first time he came back. And so that was, that was fun and it helped us. So I think you can't do that every month, especially as a brand, because it takes some sort of investment, but I think it's important for every brand. Right? Like that's a huge, I, I'm sure like how many people do you think were involved in this activation? I'm sure you'd know it's CMO, but in the company. Yeah, like how many people, like like even just getting that set up, the filming, the like all of that kind of stuff that would take a massive amount of resources, oh, plus money. Well, in the company, three people. You don't oh. need a large to do it. Okay. But of course, yeah, we needed a production company. We needed somebody for content. We obviously have to handle our, our athletes the, the right way. We have some stakeholders in, involved. Um, but we had some time to plan it out, a couple of months. And if you do it right, it, it it also necessarily doesn't have to be like yeah, super incredibly expensive. So, so I think, you know, if, the, if you have the right story, and obviously it's a difference, you know, if you 
if you have somebody like Novak coming somewhere, I think anywhere you go, that kind of caliber of personality, you will be greeted with open arms. So it's also totally. important totally. to like use that. How do you measure that? You know, like as a marketing person and someone, you know, who's been in, you know, grown up in D2C and performance marketing, I'm always just like, just want to make sure I get the the numbers, right? And the incrementality and all this kind of stuff. How do you measure impact like that? Or, or can you measure impact like that with doing a big activation with, with somebody like that? So there's several ways. First of all, we, we look at traffic. We, we look at traffic for one. Two, we try to test incrementality through it. Three, we, we ask all our customers, especially in the U.S. market, in the post-purchase survey, where do you know this brand from? Yeah. You know, from lead, you know, from online. So it's very important and kind of make sure we're doing the right things. And that was one of them. And four, we measure media value for what it's worth because we, we obviously try to generate a lot of PR through it. So not only in the U.S., but also in Europe. People went totally. crazy, you know, the pictures of, of Novak playing tennis and Times Square, you can imagine in many European countries, they just want to show it. So we kind of tried to also produce content that would be, that, that's a bit more editorial, that's suitable for like Reuters picked it up, for instance, you know, they, they won't do it. Oh, for instance. So, so you just want to show something is happening and like with an athlete, they're not like, it wasn't an ad. We obviously did advertisements, created that type of content. That's what we push out then. So, so these are different ways, but you also have to believe in, I mean, for us, one of the getting right into our partnership there, but we have, we're on Novak's sleeve with the water drop logo. But oh, cool. as nobody knows the water drop, especially in the US, we tried to start tie these brands together. And so people actually have an emotion, a feeling, something in mind when they see it next time he serves for championship. And that, that was the rationale. So I think as a yeah. brand, it's important once a year, more often if you can, to like do stuff where people would say, only water drop can do that or your brand can do that and and, and I like believe in it besides all yeah. the other ones. Yeah. yeah, that's super cool. I love that idea. I hope that people who are listening to this right now that their wheels are turning of like, ah, what can we do? Right. I'm thinking about previous people who have been on here, been on the podcast, who are just really good at, at some of these different activations. But this is like this is kind of next level. Like for for those Canadians and Americans listening to this, like you may not realize that's like the LeBron of tennis, you know? So like, it's a big deal. It's funny, actually. I was just in the United States and they have a bunch of snacks we can't get here in Canada. One of them is like these super spicy Ruffles chips and LeBron just has his face on these spicy Ruffles chips. And I'm like, I wonder how much of every single Ruffles bag LeBron is getting paid for these. But you guys have a different relationship, right? It's not like, like LeBron owns part of Ruffles. You've got a different relationship. And so Thinking about that, you know, we've had people on here before who, you know, Tom Brady is a business partner of theirs, right? You find people like, speaking of another goat in the, in the world, right? Like you find these people, I, I really don't think that it's, that there is too high that you guys can aim when you're thinking about these celebrity partnerships. Question. Yeah. I've, I've got, I've got some kind of question, Henry wrapped up in all of this here. How did you go about getting him on at first? Because I think that's probably where a lot of people are like, man, how do I like, like, where do I reach out to these people? How would I know? What, what do I have to offer? How much equity do I have to offer? All these kind of questions. Can you shed some light for our audience on this? So, I mean, first of all, create something that is meaningful and you will 
attract the right stakeholders and people actually inspire. I mean, talking about personalities and people, you know, they're the league of, there's a league of people out there who are not out there to chase a deal or, or, you know, just the next contract or something. Right? I mean, you can get that. I think there's just a lot of great value in like, I, I don't want to see that influencers are different, but you will be able to close a deal with an influencer or some, somebody that would be considered a celebrity in many markets. And it's, you can structure this, you know, revenue, you can bring equity partner, all of that. But if you want to like, it's different between like a partnership and you're bringing somebody in where you have like an aligned mission and somebody wants to be part of it and sees it long-term, I wouldn't say that happens every day. I don't know if you can force that. You can try. But in our case, we didn't go out and we didn't say like, oh, yeah, our strategy is to like get the gold. Well, hence, yeah. you know, that's, yeah. that, 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 that's very difficult. So I would say if you have a great product, great mission, you'll attract the right people. But I think always be prepared to dare and ask and propose and like win people over for your, your mission. And then I think everything is possible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about people like that, you know. It's not like he needs more money. You know, like that's not like, I, I don't think that that's necessarily the motivation of a lot of celebrity investors when they're getting into this, right? They're like, well, I want something that actually, number one, makes an impact. And number two, makes some kind of legacy as well, right? Like, I think that that motivations get a lot different as you start to go up, especially up market. Henry, I want to transition a little bit into retail. Uh, what I would love to know, and, and this is something I'm not even sure if we've ever talked about this episodes here on the podcast. How do you measure the incrementality of your in-store sales? Because you guys have a ton of locations yourself, plus you're in 20,000 doors. How do you measure that? Like, what does that incrementality look like? Because I think about, you know, this Times Square thing that you did there. I can only imagine that any of the doors of people around there or people that are consuming this content, that they're going to go into retail and purchase. Is that something that you guys are able to measure? Absolutely. So... There's several ways of, of, of seeing how we're how we're doing in retail for the brand. First of all, we run annual surveys to understand where the brand stands in the market. How many people know it, how many have tried it, where did they know the brand from? So we already see how much awareness retail is bringing as a channel to actually get to know the brand. And it's quite significant. So the stronger you are in retail, the more people will know you. Second way where we test it in online is coming back to the post-purchase survey, like actually asking where have you discovered this brand, yeah. we see up to double digits of people buying online because they saw the product in retail and they now want to discover a broader portfolio. So we always only offer like a bestseller portfolio when it comes to retail. We can't, no, no retail will ever take like a hundred excuse. So you want yeah. to open that ecosystem and, and have like a, a wide one for, for D2C. And then for our own retail, where we operate around 40 stores globally, we use Shopify POS. So all the customers are basically signed up to the system. Wow. You run 40 stores with Shopify POS. Well, yeah, not, not all of them because there's some regulations in European countries, which we still have to, you know, figure out. There's like different tax things around that, but. Midterm, definitely, and, and now the majority. That's a huge shout out for Shopify, by the way. 
yeah, yeah, Shopify is a, a great partner and I think they've stepped up their game a lot. First of all, when it comes to multi-channel, I think that was high up on their agenda for quite some years now. And second, for multi-country brands with multi-country stores, like just two years ago, I went like the highest people at Shopify when it comes to tech and product wanted to meet wanted to meet with us because they wanted to learn about products and stores that are multi-country and in Europe by at that time we were already like a significant store so we were one we were able to give our input on the product development roadmap which was fantastic so they're a great product company wow wow yeah absolutely I mean I've been a fan of theirs for so long also Canadian you know Canadian company just saying it's wonderful out there for us little Canadians German founder <laughs> Uh, it's it's perfect. What a good melding of cultures right there. Henry, I got to ask you the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. What is your secret to scaling? Doing things that don't scale. Like, for instance, we build momentum in markets by doing very small things consistently for several years. I'll give you one example. So very early on, one of the first teams we really built was a, called it a community love team. So we came from D2C, paid social, social media, and I think we're one of the largest or highest social media followerships in our category, even globally, against brands that are probably way bigger than us in terms of like sales and organizations. But we built this tribe online by going one-to-one with, with, with customers. So like everything that you shouldn't do probably if you like trying to scale fast, because you like do things that scale build a system, build a system. But, you know, we've been talking to people every day, calling them, doing like community, sending them surprises, inviting them, like getting to know them personally, throw events for them, et cetera, et cetera. So these people have built a wave of momentum over the years that very hard to to stop. And, and, and that kind of helped us a lot for one. And then two, because we're from Europe, we started thinking internationally very, very early on. So we, mm. we built kind of a system that we could enter a new market in a lean way very, very fast. And that helped us scale a lot. And once you have scale, you can afford to do bigger marketing moves because you now have, now you can work with global ambassadors because you have like 20 different markets to earn that dollar back. Yeah. So comparatively, let's, let's just talk about that for one second here. So, you know, we talk about, about, you know, you entering, you know, 20 some odd countries over in Europe. What's the difference coming in entering North America? Is it a bigger lift than entering each individual country? Or is it just like, hey, yeah, we're just, we're just entering another market. So let's just talk for, first, let me talk about the technicalities about it. Not because there's, and then there's a, a lot of things around customer and product in itself, but let's talk about the, the e-commerce setup first. And yeah. the answer is, it's actually, it was very simple. That part was very simple for us because we've done it by then in like 10 different European countries. So going from Austria, Germany to France was hard because you kind of, you know, new language, new regulations, new tax was very difficult. But then we went to the UK, so we built like an English site. So we, we had that in place. We were able to use a European fulfillment center at that point, but then also had to build one or like get one in, in the UK after Brexit. At that oh, point, we knew right. exactly how, 
how to plug in our system because we integrated the new P system with NetSuite, how to basically plug that into a new free PL. And we already had the English site going, so we needed the really for entering, I would say at that, that level, it was very fast for us. So we were able to set up the site very fast, plug in our, our ERP into fulfillment center, and we already had the assets, we already had the ads. So entering at that part was, I would say, super easy. And there's a, a big difference from a European brand will have a much easier time entering the US market from that perspective. Because they've done it probably several times already. Yeah. And they yeah. now have fortified their structure in Europe through different markets, but they've been focused on that a lot versus just scaling and just getting size and just nailing the customer story and just nailing the proposition that you're going out with. And that's why Americans often they're like they can go much faster and much bigger because they're thinking about one market, one language. Obviously, there's all of this tax, you know, all the tax issues, but there's great tools already for that. And, and they can focus about only that for like years. And while Europeans focus on like, how do we enter 10 different markets? Americans sometimes haven't even thought about it. Or you have like Canada and the US where there's like, once you've nailed, and I think you still, a lot of them stay away from it for, for quite some time until you actually like go across the border. And it's American brands stay out of Canada. You know, yeah. because it's like, oh, it's just too difficult. Oh, we can't do that. We can't enter Canada. For all the first thing, you know, we went to the US, like after six months, we said like, okay, look, can, can we like now think, start thinking about Canada? Because like, you know, like that step isn't that far anymore for us at, at, at that at that point. And I would say the second part is the more difficult one. Like, is the customer the same? Like, does your product work? Do you have product market fit? Is your yeah. drink where like we learned so many different things there, and that's the harder part that you you have to crack them. Nobody will take that away from you. But if you've done it in ten different markets, you have faster ways to test, faster ways to iterate, and faster ways to adapt. Suddenly, you know, if it's your first time, you actually have to change something. It's painful. Yeah, absolutely, Henry. I've got three more questions. I hope that you are ready. All right. First question for you, favorite podcast or audio book that you're listening to right now? So I personally enjoy Lex Friedman a lot. So do I. I mean, it's something, not a secret tip or something, but. No, no one has ever said Lex. 500 episodes, right. not a single person has ever said Lex. I, I just like going bigger picture and drawing implications from it, be it political, economical, and I, I don't know, I, I but it takes time and you've got to have the time to consume it and think about it. Not an easy one. So I like to do that when I have time. He had a great interview recently with Walter Isaacson on Elon. And that was just like, I would recommend anybody listen to that. If you don't want to read Walter Isaacson's book on Elon, just listen to that interview. It's great. Awesome. Yeah. Second question for you, favorite tool or app that you're using right now? Wow. There's, there's a lot of great ones out there. So first of all, I love it. <laughs> Book purchase survey gives me so much insight. Who do you use for that? It's called Fairing. The app. Is oh, Fairing. Fairing. Okay. Matt, their founder, pretty well. Yeah, yeah. He, he built a really nice tool. It's. I also like Buy the Numbers. It's a very good analytics tool for us. And I have never heard of that before. We'll make sure to put that one down in the show notes, guys. Buy the Numbers as well. Buy the Numbers, and we work a lot with Loyalty Line. So we applied Loyalty Line. Across all the stores. Cool. 
Cool. Well, that's that's great to know. Those are all ones that we do not talk about a lot on here. So that's great. I love having new tools that we can let our our audience know about. Uh, last question for you, Henry. You just found out you have a year to live. What changes? I think not a lot because I really enjoy what I do every day. If I'd have a year to live, I have a little, I have a little kid now. I'd probably, I'm, I'm investing my time now wisely to kind of increase even more quality time over the next years. I would have 365 days. I would probably accelerate that equation and shift around a little bit how I spend my time, but I would not stop working on what I'm working on because I love it. That's great. Henry, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's a great conversation. Really interesting to hear some of this expansion. Loved, loved hearing about that Times Square activation. That was, that's brilliant. You got my mind spinning with like, oh yeah, yeah. What, what can we do? What can our, our brands do? And the, the brands that we work with as well. Like it's, it's really interesting. So thank you so much for coming on. Where can people connect with you and then find out more about Waterdrop? Well, just hit me up on LinkedIn under Henry Murray. I'm very happy to always connect with people from the industry. And yeah, I'd love to, love to chat. Awesome. Thank you again so much for your time today. Thank you, Jordan. It was great. Awesome. Hey guys, just wanted to say thanks again so much for listening to the podcast. If I could ask one favor of you, it would be to share this with your other e-commerce store owner friends. Uh, we want uh, everyone in the e-com space uh, to be listening to this podcast and lots of you guys already are. And we really, really appreciate that. One last thing before you go as well is we are offering to our podcast listeners a free e-commerce growth plan where we go from strategy to sale with your brand in this e-commerce growth plan. So feel free to go to www.upgrowthcommerce.com grow and apply for a free growth plan today. Thank you all again so much for listening.